0: Well, we now have the privilege of hearing from the word. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we'll be learning from him precisely what it means to live in a way that is pleasing to God. And so here to help us with our scripture reading is patience. Our reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on As we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Dan McDonald. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Toronto. And wherever you are in your journey of faith, we are glad that you have joined us. Uh, Since COVID began, there has been a massive upsurge in Google searches for using the search word prayer. Um, Searches in March are 50% higher than in February and higher than Google has seen them, I think, ever. Uh, But deeper probing into it shows that there's a lot of confusion over what prayer actually means. And that confusion is both within and outside of the Christian faith. Here, Jesus, who in this part of the Sermon on the Mount is discussing the issue of private versus public spirituality, deals with the very issue of prayer. Jesus is saying here, who you are when no one is looking, defines your spirituality much more than what you do publicly. And so, as last week we saw, when you give, you should give privately, not publicly. This week he wants to show us that you should pray privately more than publicly. But in the midst of this discussion, he gives us some really important, challenging, provocative, even profound helps on how to pray according to the gospel that he has brought in and so let's look at that we're going to do this in the next two weeks a more of a, a big picture flyover this week and then next week we'll dive in a little bit more deeply but this week we just want to look at two things firstly how not to pray Jesus says and secondly how to pray uh, firstly how not to pray Jesus begins this section by telling us a couple of things we should avoid when we're praying. And the first thing he says that we should avoid is when you pray or fast, don't do it to get public approval. He says don't stand on street corners where people can see you. Don't pray in ways that make it obvious that you're praying, that you're spiritual. Because if you're praying to get the approval of those around you, then you've got your reward. God's not even hearing really. He's not going to reward that motivation, that attitude. God knows your heart. He knows the real reason you're praying. It's for personal approval, for personal status within the community. It's for branding yourself as some kind of spiritual person. And so he says, don't do that. Instead, pray privately. Go into a room in in, in the verbiage here and in the ancient Near East at this time, ancient Israel at this time. The room he's discussing is an inner room with no outer windows. It's a very private room that you're to go into when you do your praying. And the same principle uh, applies to fasting, which we'll talk about a little bit more next week. When you fast, and Jesus, by the way, he assumes you will fast, then hide the fact that you're fasting from others. This is just another example of a Jesus-shaped spirituality. It is from the inside out. It's about the heart more than it's about the behavior. The gospel always, always says this. What you do comes from what you love, and what you love is what matters to God. James K.A. Smith, popular Christian author, uh, even wrote a whole book about it called You Are what you love. And he is only repeating the ideas of the Puritan thinker Henry Scougal, who wrote these words. The worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. That's what true spirituality is, even when it comes to prayer. Unlike the vast majority of world religions, Christianity is essentially about your heart and your deepest inner motivations. So if you love the approval of others, and that's your motivation for praying, then you love your own glory. You're praying to an audience of those around you so that they can approve you. Your prayer is about you. Your fasting is about you if it's done this way. And so Jesus' first example of how not to pray is this. Don't pray for the approval of others, because that's not what prayer is. When you pray... You pray to an audience of one God Himself. God doesn't need you to be on a street corner to hear you. God doesn't need you to be out in public to know that you're praying. God says the people whom I reward when they pray are people who are praying to me, not to others, not to look good. It's not some form of virtue signaling. Now there's a second danger, though, that Jesus will will talk about, and that is, even if you get that you're praying to God, you can come to God the wrong way. And that's what he says here. He says, when you are praying, and you will see it a little bit later in the verse, verse 7, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Did you hear that? God is saying, you may know that you need to pray to God, but the way you pray is this. You think up, there's something magical in, in the words themselves. There's some kind of mantra that if you keep repeating it, and that was pretty typical for many of the religions back then. If you keep repeating this magic mantra, you know, the door will open. Um, we do this even those of us who are secular, even those of us who call ourselves Christian, we try and find the right way to open the key to earn God's approval so he'll answer our prayers. I know I have fallen into these things. Am I using the right words? Um, is my heart really pure enough when I'm, when I'm praying these words? Am I, am I quoting enough scripture? Yeah, in these words, to show God that I'm serious. Uh, what's the last couple months of my life? What's my moral resume look like? Do I, do I even have a right to expect God to reward me? We're kind of like like new workers on the path going into a, a job interview or even a performance review after a year looking for a promotion. You know, we come trying to get the right words, trying to have the resume look right. That's what Jesus says we need to avoid. Why? Because how we're praying to God shows who we think God is. Some of us think he's a transactional God who will reward us according to our, our, the last few months on our moral resume. Some of us think he's a genie God who will give us three wishes if we just get the three wishes right. Some of us think he's this mysterious God and there's this labyrinthine puzzle and magic words that you need to figure out to crack the code. Some of us think he's the easily fooled God that we can manipulate if we say the words rightly. That's not how we pray. Don't pray for the approval of others. And don't go to God looking for some key to find or perform his approval to get it. You don't need tricks. What does he say? He say your heavenly father already knows what you need. That's a clue to our next Our next point, how to pray. But let's summarize this quickly. When we pray, we don't pray for others' approval. We pray to an audience of one. Secondly, when we pray to God, we don't pray to earn his approval. We pray because he's our father. We already have his approval and love. It's not about performance. It's not about tricks. It's about grace. Your heavenly father knows what you need. So, then how do we pray? Well, let's take that transitional phrase, your Heavenly Father knows what you need, and then the first part of the prayer he gives us, when you pray, he says, pray this way, our Father in heaven. You see what Jesus is doing? He's giving us what I think of as the first main way to understand prayer, and that is embrace your position before your Father. Embrace your position before your Father. This is the first way that he teaches us to pray. Jesus has has said some words here which are unbelievably challenging. In that day, you could literally get killed by calling God in Israel, my Father. God to them was God, the Holy One, the Transcendent One, the Majestic and Glorious Holy One, so different from you and I, all-powerful everywhere. You went to God with fear and trembling. You went to God carefully. He's not someone you could speak with, with the easy familiarity that you speak to your father about. God was resplendent in his uniqueness, alone in his greatness. He was some far-off, all-powerful emperor. You approached carefully. Now, in our day, I think we actually have the opposite tendency. We tend to be in a culture that doesn't really respect God. Some of our bestseller books are God is Not Great, The God Delusion. Um, even within uh, in institutional Christianity, even within, we have some religious teachers who claim to be within our tradition who say that we're God too. We're little gods, says the prosperity gospel. Joel Osteen's wife says, I think the Holy Spirit is like a genie. He gives me what I wish. Men and women, boys and girls, God is not a genie. Look at the prayers beginning. He's our Father who's in heaven. Let's look at those two for a moment. He's God in heaven. Hallowed be his name. God is God. In the words of the Westminster Confession of Faith, God is infinite in being. And perfection, A most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory. God is no genie that you can come to and control with three wishes. God is no CEO that you can persuade with your moral resume. God is no wizard you come to with some magical mantra. God is the consuming fire of holy love, the king of the universe, the emperor of the cosmos. You come to the creator and ruler of all things. And we come humbly and reverently. And yet... We come to one who has given us the privilege, by His grace, of calling Him Father. If you are a Christian, you are His beloved. He created you in fatherly love, cared for you, helped order your life and the life of all history, so that you could meet Him and you could experience His grace. Before the foundation of the world, He ordered this all. His adopting love was upon you, since before the universe was made. His eyes have seen you and shaped all of history so that you can know him and be known by him. This powerful, majestic, heavenly king who is your father, who in the words of the Westminster Confession of Faith is most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. this God is your father. Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's our position. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through jesus christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace you see those two come together the great god in heaven who works all things after the counsel of his ill worked all things to be your intimate father through the work of his son jesus you become a son or a daughter a beloved child like jesus you see because of jesus you have all the status before god that jesus does and remember what Jesus is to his Father. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, said God when he talked about his Son. But in Romans chapter 8, 15 and 16, it says we've received that same status. It says we've not received a spirit of fear leading to slavery, but a spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Therefore, the pleasure God has in his Son, Jesus, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, is the exact pleasure he has in all his sons and daughters who have become his sons and daughters through faith in Jesus and his work on the cross. Embrace your position before him because if you do that the idea of prayer gets transformed it's not some laundry list of of requests it's not some puzzle trying to get answers it's not some manipulative approach to a deity to try and fool or a genie to extract wishes from it's the confident walk of a beloved child to commune with their loving father if you're a skeptic, think about these implications. I know you might find this perspective hard to believe because you know that the, the, the primary belief in prayer we have in our culture today usually collapses into one of two poles. One, it's, it's this kind of mindful meditation that we do for our own emotional and psychological centering and well-being. Or secondly, it's a kind of dutiful confused, labyrinthine approach to some far-off deity, hoping that the message somehow gets through, through the bureaucracy and the confusing murkiness. But that's not the gospel view of prayer. The gospel view is that the God of the universe has become your daddy. He is both at the same time. And he invites you into that kind of relationship. Now, if you're a Christian, think just quickly about these implications. I know many of us feel inadequate to go before God. We don't, we don't know what to say. But it says here, the Father knows your need. So you can safely come and know that he knows your needs. You don't even have to say them right. He'll listen carefully despite your inadequacy of saying it. Secondly, he doesn't just know your need. He loves you like he loves Jesus. So you can safely come even though you feel spiritually inadequate. And you know that he will listen carefully to what you have to say and your request, just like I listen carefully to my beloved daughter, even though she sometimes blurts them out and she doesn't always come to me with a great moral resume or she hasn't treated me well. She's my daughter and I love her. He knows your need. He has adopted you as father. And finally, he's the God in heaven. He has the power to meet your needs when you come to him. Those three things are true just by this position. God loved his son and he loved his adopted children that he wanted to adopt. But to purchase our adoption, he had to say no to the prayer of his beloved son at one point. Think about that. God sometimes says no to us, but that's for our good. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked his father, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. He didn't want to go to the cross. He emotionally was recoiling at the pain and the alienation he was going to experience. But God the Father looked at his beloved son and said, I won't answer that prayer because I've got all these children I want to adopt. And I need you to bear the guilt and the pain of the cross to purchase the adoption of my other kids. And so sometimes God says no in love. For our good, as he said, No in love to even his beloved son, Jesus. But you know he knows your need. You know he hears your prayers because he's adopted you. And you know he has the power to meet your needs. How do we pray? We start by embracing our position before our Father. Now, secondly, we embrace Jesus' perspective on what prayer really is, and and I get this from a quick look at the Lord's Prayer. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, you're going to see that after it says, Our Father in Heaven, it has six different quick petitions. The first three are about God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. The next three are about us. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, And lead us not into temptation and protect us from the evil one. They might be four or three, depending on how you break them out. But they look like they're two couplets of three. That seems to be the structure of his prayer. But now look at the order. Which three come first? Yeah. The three about God. This sets the tone. The perspective of what prayer really is. This first set of three, we'll look at them quickly. We might look at them in more detail next week. Firstly, hallowed be your name. Literally, it means may your name, may your reputation, may your fame be honored and revered. On earth as it is in heaven. All three of these petitions are meant to be finished with on earth as it is in heaven. May your name be honored, revered, adored, set apart, treated as holy. May all of your creation and all of the people whom you have created for your glory, may we honor your name in all we do. Our purpose is not to glorify ourselves, it is to glorify him. Your kingdom come. We'll talk, we may talk more about this next week because it, its verse is fairly controversial in, in Christian circles. What exactly does this kingdom mean? It's, it's a broad concept, admittedly. It can mean different things. It can have different emphases, and different people do emphasize different things. It includes such things as the triumph of justice, the ending of oppression, the banishing of evil. Uh, but for now, let's just stop and look at the most obvious meaning. Your kingdom. What does that imply? A king. It means there's a king who's reigning, and it means the acknowledgement of him as the king. That's the most obvious meaning. May it come. Well, I mean, obviously in one sense, God, as we've already seen, rules the whole universe as sovereign, so it doesn't mean to come in that ontological way to use a technical word but the acknowledgement of his kingship the the recognizing admitting and submitting to his kingship that's what that prayer is all about this prayer may this rain this hallowing this honoring this acknowledging may it be more and more expressed and evident on earth as it is in heaven because in the heavenly realms it clearly is this way. And may your will be done. That gives practical, particular expression to that idea of the kingdom. May your wishes, your will, your, your commands be obeyed. So let's stop here now for this week and ask and answer this question. What perspective is God giving us about the nature of prayer by the structure of the Lord's prayer? And I submit to you it's this. The prayer isn't ultimately about us. It's about Him. It's about His glory. It's not about us getting stuff from God. That, that's like marrying someone for their money. No, 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 no. Prayer is about getting God from God. It's about falling in love with our Father who adopted us from all eternity and, and, and adoring Him and wanting the world to know how great He is. Prayer is not about getting things from God. It's about getting God Himself in communion with Him. That's the essence of of prayer it's about his get, getting his glory glory excuse me so entrenched in your heart your soul that his glory his fame his reign animates your being drives your destiny dictates your decisions determines your destiny Quickly note, even the final three petitions, the ones about us, we'll look more at those petitions next week. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation. Keep us from evil. These three petitions for us are about how we can align to the first three. How we can be part of hallowing His name. Bringing His kingdom onto earth. Obeying His will. That's why I say this is Embracing Jesus' perspective. Why do I say that? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus tells us to pray this prayer. But he's the one who not only prayed, but he lived this prayer. Did Jesus hallow his Father's name? Absolutely. By manifesting the love and the beauty and the forgiveness and grace of the Father, Jesus, who said, He who has seen me has seen the Father, gave great glory to the name and fame and reputation of his Father. In his final prayer with his disciples, in the upper room, in John 17, Jesus begins that final prayer, what we call the high priestly prayer, with these words, Father, the hour has come. It's the hour of his death. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even in my death and rising, which will bring me glory. I want the glory to go to you. His whole life was lived for the glory of his father. And his death was the ultimate act of glorifying his father. Both glorifying his father's justice. Look how great a price needs to be paid to have our sin forgiven. No mere animal sacrifice can do it. No mere I'm sorry can do it. The justice demanded by the guilt of our sin and the getting rid of it, the satisfaction for it is so high. God's holiness is so high it took the death of His Son to meet and satisfy that justice. But also in His Father's grace. His Father's grace is so infinite He gave His one, beloved, infinitely pure Son in our place for our sin. Did Jesus hallow His Father's name? No one has honored God's name like Jesus did did he help bring God's kingdom to earth? Oh yes, he did. He actually brought his the kingdom of God with him to earth when he incarnated. He says in Matthew 12:28, "If it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you." It has come upon you because the king has brought it. With the king comes his kingdom the kingdom of God. Did Jesus do his father's will? Absolutely. Let's go back to John 17 in verse four. He says, I glorified you on earth. How? Having accomplished all the work that you gave me to do. Jesus accomplished his father's will. He lived the life of obedience that his father wished we could do, but we didn't do. But he did. He got the This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased response from his Father. And then after living the life that earned that comment, he opened the way for all of us to join him in receiving that love and that pleasure. As children of God, he earned our right to become citizens of the kingdom by going to the cross for us and taking the guilt of our sin and satisfying the debt of it. You see, before he was arrested, Jesus prayed, If it be your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, he finishes his prayer, Not my will, but yours be done. He did his Father's will. He prayed this prayer. And because he did that, he opened the way for those of us who are in Jesus, who have trusted in Jesus, that we can pray this prayer as well. If you are not yet a Christian, I invite you. Ask Jesus in, and you can have this position before God. He can be your father, and you can be his child, and you can have this incredible perspective. But if you are a Christian, hear these words. The Spirit of Jesus lives in you. He can help you pray and live this prayer. So let us learn to pray privately when no one is watching, as Jesus did his whole life, when he went away constantly to the mountains and the desolate places to pray and commune privately with his beloved because he knew that prayer was communing with an audience. Of one. Let us learn to pray, embracing our position as beloved kids, as beloved children of the Father, which is exactly what Jesus did. He knew he was the beloved son of his Father. He knew he didn't need to worry, but he could come confidently to his Father who would listen and hear. And let us learn to pray, embracing Jesus' perspective. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Embrace your position As beloved children, Jesus has earned that for you in his life and given that to you as a gift in his death. Embrace Jesus' perspective with the Spirit of God. Understand that prayer is about aligning you to the enthralling view of God as the one who is hallowed and living your life to bring in his kingdom and accomplish his will. Enlist the Spirit of Jesus to have the perspective of Jesus and enjoy the position of Jesus, the beloved Son of His Father. Let's pray. Father, I thank You and praise You for Your goodness. May You help us now to see these two things, our position as beloved children and our perspective as obedient kids, the position and perspective that comes to us through Jesus. We love You and praise You in Christ's name. Amen.